Thank you, Deborah, for that uh, beautiful song. What a wonderful thing to pray right now. Lord, make me a channel of your peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. And that is a wonderful prayer for all of us. Today, we're going to continue walking through the book of Acts. We've kind of been hitting the highlights throughout this beautiful book, seeing how the gospel message and the movement spread, starting in an empty tomb and in a garden outside the tomb, all the way to uh, Jerusalem and Samaria, and last week to Lydda and Joppa, and eventually to the ends of the earth. It's an amazing, beautiful picture of a global God who has a global mission that includes all people's around the world. This time of year, uh, you know, we're approaching August, and normally our kids would be uh, headed back to school, and don't get me started on that process right now. Uh, I don't even want to go there this morning, but some of you around uh, early August still feel that anxiety kind of creeping in about the the, the beginning of school. Uh, remember all those pressures about who am I going to sit with at lunch? Who's going to be in my classes? What am I going to wear on the first day of school? And, you know, I'm, I'm realizing that anxiety doesn't really go away, even though uh, you're out of high school. Some of you have been out of high school a really long time. But we all still want to fit in. We all want to be included. We all want to feel like we belong and like we have a place where we can be ourselves and where we can flourish and thrive. We long for these meaningful connections and relationships, and that's all part of that kind of uh, schoolyard uh, anxiety that we still feel. What we're seeing here in the book of Acts is how the gospel of Jesus Christ actually creates that kind of space, how it actually builds a community where all peoples can belong and feel included, a place where every human being can be a part of a true family of faith, a family whose ties run deeper than blood. But if the, if the church is going to be effective in creating those kinds of gospel communities, then we have to make sure that we see others as God sees them. The goal is to see a people the way the Lord sees people, with his heart and with his attitude. Last week, we saw how the Lord gave Peter a major attitude adjustment. We still are working on attitude adjustments in my house with our three young children and our two-month-old puppy. Peter never saw the Gentiles. Remember, Gentiles are those people who are outside of the Jewish faith. He never saw them as equals. He, he saw the Gentiles as less than, as other than. He saw them as undeserving of God's grace and favor. Now, I guess Peter didn't realize that none of us are deserving of God's grace and favor, that it's all gift for any of us. But that kind of elitist attitude still to this day pervades a lot of the church. And, and that attitude will render our ability to create gospel community completely ineffective. So we're going to see there's a story about uh, Mahatma Gandhi that Kent Hughes tells in his uh, commentary on Acts. You know Gandhi, this great Hindu peace leader uh, in India? In his autobiography, I didn't know this, but he almost converted to Christianity. He was a college student in England, and he was reading the Gospels and, and, and reading the New Testament, and he was moved by the Spirit. So he showed up at church one Sunday as a genuine seeker trying to understand what Christianity was all about. 
and the ushers at the church refused to seat him. He showed up in his traditional Hindu garb and, and they said, no, this is not the place for you. And so they sent him away and he never came back. And can you blame him? Later in life, he would say, I like the New Testament. I like your Christianity, but I do not like your Christians. The stakes are really high here. We're talking about souls. We're talking about people, a billion year investment in the souls of people who are made in God's image. So let's listen to the word today about what, what the word says about how we treat people who are other than us. Maybe people who don't look like us or are outside our circles, outside our comfort zones. Last week, we left off in Acts chapter 10, where just as Peter was pondering his vision, the vision of the sheet that came down with the animals that were clean and unclean, just then three Roman messengers show up, sent by Cornelius. They come to, to Simon the Tanner's house where Peter's staying in Joppa. And normally Peter would have said, ah, oh, Romans, gross, and shut the door in their face. But his heart had changed. He understood that his vision was about God's global plan for every nation, tribe, and tongue. So let's pick it up in verse 23 again. So he invited them to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. In chapter 11, we see that six brothers from Joppa actually went, six of these Christians from Joppa went with Peter to go see if this Cornelius guy was the real deal or not. It took seven witnesses to validate a claim to be true in the ancient Near East Judean culture here. So they make up this 35 mile trip up to Caesarea by the sea. And when they show up, there's this huge reception waiting for them. Look at verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. This is a huge reception waiting for Peter and for this little group from Joppa when they get there. And here you have one of the leaders of the Roman occupation of Judea, the occupying force, worshiping Peter a fisherman, a Jewish fisherman from this village in Galilee. And not only is Cornelius worshiping Peter, he's doing it in front of all of his associates and all of his family. The, the Greek word for worship here is proskuneo, and it literally means to kiss toward. He's about to kiss Peter's feet in worship of this guy. For, you know, a petty, needy, insecure person, this might have been an opportunity to, to relish the fact that this high Roman official was now the, kissing Peter's feet. The tables had turned. Peter could have said, yes, indeed, the big fisherman, the apostle of Jesus Christ is here in the flesh. You may now proceed to kiss my feet. That's not what he did. His heart had changed. He didn't see Romans as the enemy anymore. He saw him as God saw him. And he says, stand up, man. We're all humans here. We're all on the same level ground. And Cornelius, his, his friends and his family had no idea, but they were about to engage in the first cross-cultural in-home Bible study ever. 
You know, I hope Trey and Anna's church will have several opportunities for cross-cultural in-home Bible studies, and that's, that's what's about to happen here in the home of Cornelius in Caesarea. I have friends who are missionaries in the Middle East, and even friends here in Nashville who are doing these kinds of cross-cultural in-home ministries, and it's cool to hear them talk about how they'll pass around the tea, the chai, they call it, uh, if it's a, from a family from the Middle East. And then they'll, they'll engage in these Bible studies that use common shared words like Allah or Isa, which is Jesus, the prophet. And, and they'll dive into uh, the text and they'll see uh, these common things. And that's kind of what's happening in Cornelius' home here. But before Peter begins the Bible study, he, he gives kind of a, a background disclaimer. Look at verse uh, 28. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house and at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you may have been kind, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So the stage is set. And this is one of the most receptive audiences of all time. The Holy Spirit has primed their hearts to receive the gospel. At this exact moment, God's been building to this time. So Peter is about to summarize the entire apostolic teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he starts with an introduction in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. They can come to him. Verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news, that's gospel of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. They'd heard about these rumors of Jesus and, and what had happened in all of Judea. So then Peter moves on to the life of Christ. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We don't need to neglect the life of Christ. We often talk about the death and resurrection of Christ, but let's remember the life of hope and healing that he bring as well. Then he moves to the atoning death of Christ. That is the, the high point of the gospel, verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. That's the, the curse of Deuteronomy. And then the, 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 the backside of the death is the resurrection, verse 40. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him. He was physical. They ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
And then he, he, he moves on to the return of Christ. That's not the end of the story. It's not about Jesus died and rose again so we can go to heaven. That's not the gospel. There's more to it. Verse 42. Jesus commanded us to preach the gospel and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge, the final judge on the last day of the living and the dead. Then Peter ends his Bible study with verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes, everyone, not just Jews, but everyone who, in all creation who believes, whoever believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And Peter's teaching has an amazing effect, of course. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, these Jewish Christians, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. This is the power of the the gospel. Peter proclaims the gospel truth and the Holy Spirit falls in power. These Roman pagan people who are outside of the covenant of God hear about the goodness of God's plan to redeem this fallen, broken world through his son. And the Spirit moves in power. And Peter and the six other Christians from Joppa witness what is happening. The same thing that happened to the Jewish believers back in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. They start speaking in tongues. They're praising God in other languages formerly unknown to them. They say that the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. The Spirit falls on all kinds of people. We're on equal footing when it comes to the cross of Christ. And that fact was being proven right here in Caesarea. Then they take the next step. Look at verse 47. Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. You know, it's possible that Cornelius and his family had never seen a baptism before. That wasn't something that Romans did. And I'm sure it was awkward as they tried to find some towels and tried to find some basins of water to make this thing happen. But it's a beautiful picture as Cornelius and his friends and family surrender themselves to Christ, die to themselves, are resurrected into a whole new kind of life. And old conventions are just being broken left and right here. It was a literal rebirth for Cornelius and his associates. Nothing would ever be the same for them, all because Peter was being pushed outside of his comfort zone and was obedient to follow God into this great new work that that he was doing among the nations. Look at the rest of uh, verse 48. It says they asked him to remain for some days there at the end. It's another cross-cultural immersion for Peter. He's now ministering among Gentiles for the first time in his life. There's a Gentile baptism. There's a Gentile worship service. And now there's a a Gentile follow-up class that's going to be going on for a few days for these new believers. I bet Peter was having a blast. The walls that had divided him from those who were formerly outside of the Jewish nation 
had been collapsing all around him. He was beginning to understand that these Romans are actual human beings, not just some pagan invading force. And they too were made in God's divine image and were beloved by the Lord. And they actually loved Jesus, just like Peter loved Jesus. And they had now been born again into the same family of faith that Peter and the disciples had been born into. They were brothers now for all eternity. Do you remember that show, uh, Undercover Boss? I don't think I actually ever saw it. Uh, I think it was on CBS. Undercover Boss. The, the, the premise was that the, the CEO of some company, some wealthy, powerful person, would like put on a beard or some disguise and they would take a, a, a entry-level position like in the mailroom or as a janitor or something within their own company that they were leading at the time. And the, the point was that they would receive some kind of humbling insight by spending time with people uh, outside of the boardroom and outside of the halls of power and the corner offices. That, and they, they would understand their company better by associating with people they formerly believed to be beneath them. Peter is here among the Gentiles, people who he used to despise. And he's doing amazing things among them. He had experienced miracles among them in Lydda and in Joppa. And then he had received a vision of his own narrow-mindedness, his own narrow view of God. And now he's experiencing fruitful ministry among the Gentiles. He saw the beauty and the majesty of God's plan to redeem not just Israel, but the entire cosmos as he works to, 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 to produce the gospel hope throughout every corner of the globe. It had never been about one people or one geographic location. It had always been a universal, multiversal view of salvation. I'm not saying that, that God's going to save everyone. I'm not a universalist. But God's plan to redeem all fallen creation has always been global and universal in scope and in its mission. That means there's no person on earth that could not be made new through the blood of the cross. When I was a kid growing up about 30 miles south of here on Hillsborough Road at Oak Valley Baptist Church, there was a song we sang, often there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood, in the blood of the Lamb, of the Lamb. You may know that, that hymn. But there is power in the blood, and that power is effective for all human beings. The Taliban, ISIS, Fox News anchors, MSNBC anchors, none of them are outside the reach of the gospel. And if we don't believe that, then the gospel won't be furthered by our congregation to anyone that doesn't look like us. It won't go beyond the walls of our church. So the, the, the gossip train in, in churches travels fast, right? And word gets out to the, the good people of First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, the original Christian church there. And they hear that Peter's gone all Gentile crazy, that he's gone soft on Gentiles now. And when Peter finally comes back to Jerusalem, they call him out. Look at uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. 
So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, probably the worst party ever, criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. How dare you? Called him the task for eating with pagan Gentile people. They were, these were Jewish Christians, right, who couldn't get past their old traditions and their old customs that were irrelevant to the new covenant of Jesus. They couldn't believe that Peter was willing to throw out thousands of years of custom and ritual and heritage to associate himself with a bunch of Gentile outsiders. So Peter gives them a full account of what happened. And apparently Peter's defense was so good that in the end, nobody could refute it. In fact, they were so convinced by Peter's defense that they just have to worship God. Skip to verse 18. Look at verse 18. When they heard Peter's defense, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's the point of this thing. People are being saved. Life is coming, abundant life for the here and the, the, the later as well. It's an amazing thing and it leads to rejoicing. What was so convincing about Peter's defense here? What led the hardliners to come to, to believe and be persuaded that God was actually doing something new and including all the nations now? I want to show you three keys, I think, to Peter's success here in broadening the horizons of these hardliners. If we're going to broaden the horizons of those around us, let's start with these three keys. First, you got to have a vision, and you got to share that vision. Peter has a vision. Look at verse 4. Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. You know, if you aren't receiving revelation from God, if you don't have a vision of, of truth from God, then you're not ever going to be able to convince others of what God is doing and what God is up to. And to that, you may say, well, I've never had a trance. I've never fallen into a trance and had a vision of, of God's truth. I haven't either. I've had friends who have, but, but I've never had a, a, a vision where I was in a trance where God spoke to me like that. And, and I will tell you this, though. Every time I open God's word, every day, I shake my head and wonder and smile and marvel at the truth that God is showing me and revealing to me through his word. There's other times where I've been out working in the yard and a light bulb goes off as the Holy Spirit illuminates something to me, beautiful and wonderful that I could not have learned on my own. God is showing us magnificent things all the time. The question is, do we have the eyes to see those things? Do we have the courage then to share those things? It's an important distinction to make. 
The second key to expanding the horizons of those around us is to, to get out there and live it, to have the experience to validate the vision. You gotta go and, and actually try that vision out. So look at verse 11. Behold, at that very moment, the three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. And he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. The vision was legit because Peter had lived it. He had experienced that what God had made clean was now clean. There was no distinction. He had experienced a Gentile Pentecost. Just because you have a vision, and even if you share it, doesn't mean you can now sit on the sidelines you got to get out there and validate it. you got to live it out and try it out and see if it lines up with your vision. The third key to Peter's success in convincing the hardliners is he made sure that it aligned with Scripture. It aligned with God's living word. Look at, uh, when, you know, when Peter saw the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit, his mind immediately went back to the word of the Lord. Look at verse 16. Peter says, I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gives to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? It lined up with God's word. Jesus himself, the living word of God said that this would happen. Any change that the Lord brings about in our world and in our mindset and in our thinking will be consistent with his word. As we see here in Peter's case, when the vision, here's the, here's the summary statement here. When the, when the vision, when the experience and the word all work together, they become an irresistible force. No one can say anything. It leads to worship. When the vision, the experience, and the word all line up and work together, it becomes an irresistible force. The, the Jerusalem church was beginning to enlarge their attitude towards the nations, and God received the glory. He was praised. Not Peter, God. So how do we feel today about outsiders? How do we feel about people that, that don't look like us or make us uncomfortable or don't vote the way we vote? I heard an African church planter tell a group of American pastors one time that we tend to think here in America as, about the church and about Christianity as like a farm with a fence around it. And either you're in or out. People could be on one side of the fence only. And all that mattered is if you said, I'm in the fence, even if you didn't act like it. If you said, I'm on the farm, I'm part of it. But he explained that in Africa, a lot of the farms there didn't have fences. What constituted the farm was whether or not the creatures got their sustenance at the farm, whether they felt comfortable and their identity was at the farm, whether they called the farm home or not is what constituted the farm. We live in a deeply divided society. 
And we as Christians have an amazing opportunity to put forth a vision, a global vision. We, we have a, a chance to give people an experience of that vision. And we have the revealed word of God to validate and support that vision as well. And this is a, a vision and a message of unity, of inclusion of all people, every nation, every tribe, every tongue that coincides with the word of God. We can hold out a, a connection to people and build gospel communities where we are a family with ties that run deeper than the obvious surface things that our culture is so obsessed with. We can model for the world what an open-armed, inclusive, truly inclusive body looks like. We can be a hopeful society, a family of faith that truly believes that we are bringing the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven, as we play our part in God's redemptive purposes for the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in the midst of a divided society, you've given us an opportunity to show a unity among believers that we can be a family of faith with people from other cultures, other ethnic identities in a way that, that unites us as one. God, we have to ask for your forgiveness for the, the Baptist church, especially Southern Baptists in this nation have, have been built on, on prejudice and on uh, even in the 1850s, starting to uphold slavery, God. We have repented of that before, but we need to repent again as we seek to bring justice and healing and unity to a fractured world. We wanna be channels of your peace because we have a vision from you that you are a global God. You are not the God of America. You are the God of all nations. God, give us a heart for those that don't look like us. Help us to model for the world what unity truly looks like. We pray, O oh Lord, that the, the, the wedge of politics and, and the deep divisions of um, what news shows we watch would not divide your people during this season. That we as the church would stand firmly upon your word. That we would stand on truth with a capital T that we would stand on that truth to unite us as a family of faith, showing the world what true love for the other looks like as we open our arms to one another in peace because you have shown us that is the way to show the world who you are. God, we wanna see billion year investments in souls. May no one show up at our church and be turned away because of their dress May we show no partiality as James commands us. May we truly welcome the stranger into our community. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you're watching today, we encourage you to call the number 615-297-5303 or go to woodmontbaptist.com and fill out the connection card so that we can pray with you, so that we can minister with you. We want to know how we can do life with you and how we can connect you to this family of faith and bring you into this family of faith. Maybe today you're feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit that you need to surrender like Cornelius did 
all that you are to, to Jesus Christ as Lord. He is Lord of all, whether we know it or not. Maybe today you're ready to make that step, and it's the most important decision you can ever make because it leads to abundant life in this life and in the next life. If that's you today, don't hesitate. Call the number on the screen. The minister is waiting to speak with you now. If you want to be a part of Woodmont Baptist Church, it's a weird time to join a church, but if you say, I'm ready to join the team, call the number or fill out the, the card on the website, and we can let you know how you can do that even during this time. Whatever decision you need to make today, don't walk away from this broadcast without having dealt with the Lord in your heart of hearts. We're going to sing a song of response now. I encourage you just to get real and be honest with the Lord right now during this time as we sing and worship.